The following is a sermon from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information and resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Today's scripture reading is Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and take the one in front of you in the pew back. Um, You can take that home with you as a gift from Park Church. If you are using the pew back Bible, that can be found on page 762. Again, Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Calden. Good morning. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. I thank you all for joining us today. College students in particular, welcome to you. Welcome back. Hope the summer was all that you hoped it would be. Um, Quick announcement, there are a few great classes coming up this fall, starting on September 10th. There's one on studying the Bible, uh, and then also one on if you're interested in being a gospel community leader. Um, Those are happening, but also the one I wanted to highlight today was Prophecy and Hearing God. Uh, It starts on September 10th. It's a six-week course that will take place during our 11 a.m. service. Uh, We'd love for you to sign up. You can always come to the 9 a.m. service and stick around for that class after that. Uh, In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us, to eagerly desire the gifts, especially that you would prophesy. Well, what in the world does that mean? Uh, we want to be a church that follows Jesus into all that he has for us. And so join us for the six-week uh, class uh, if you want to grow in your understanding of spiritual gifts, particularly the practice of listening to God. And so you can sign up at parkchurch.org forward slash events. Uh, we'd love to have you join us for that. We are currently in our fall series Uh, looking at what it means for us to be with Jesus, particularly what does it mean to be with Jesus around this practice of prayer. We see prayer as a central part of Jesus' life during his ministry on earth, but also we believe that Jesus invites his disciples to follow him into a life of prayer as well. It wasn't just something that Jesus did and then we don't have to pray anymore. Jesus says, hey, follow me. And part of that following is praying. And so we're unpacking four aspects of prayer through the acrostic P-R-A-Y, which spells pray. Um, So two weeks ago, we looked at pausing. What does it look like to slow down, to be with Jesus? Then R, to rejoice. What does it look like to intentionally practice gratitude in our lives? And then today, we're looking at the A letter, which stands for ask. Uh, We pause in prayer. We rejoice in prayer. We ask God in prayer. And then next week, we're going to close things out. Uh, with the Y letter, which uh, is to yield or to surrender. And so, uh, can I be honest with you all? Uh, When Gary asked me to preach in this prayer series, I think of all the letters that I would want to preach, A was the one letter I didn't want to preach on. I would rather preach on any of the other letters. Give me P, give me R, give me Y. Gary, don't give me A. And he's like, great, A it is. 
So I get to preach uh, on this letter A. I think, I think this uh, asking of God in prayer uh, is, is laden with complexity. It's not just complex, but also I think it's difficult because a lot of us have experienced hurt when it comes to asking for things from God in prayer. Um, I just want to get a show of hands. How many of you have asked for something from God in prayer and not received something? Look around. Okay, a couple of us. Whoever didn't raise their hands, you're a liar, right? <laughs> um, as I've prepared uh, myself for this sermon, I've found myself uh, crying because of what I've experienced in my own life with God, uh, prayers that I have not seen answered. And so how am I supposed to stand up in front of you all? I'm not some example of, of, of shiny, just amazing responses. I ask and God acts and it's an amazing thing and it's perfect and it's simple. It's not. It's not. And I wish it were, but it's not. And it's, we've all experienced this. Uh, C.S. Lewis said it this way. Every war, every famine or plague, almost every deathbed is the monument to a petition that was not granted. I'm not coming to you as an expert. I'm not coming to you who's some amazing role model, but somebody who's along in the trenches with you all, hoping that God awakens this in me as well. And so um, I'd love just to start uh, by praying, asking God for help. I don't know where you are. As I was preparing yesterday up here, I was praying, and I was like, man, I feel... Um, and just the picture that came to mind was uh, Ezekiel 37, when, when it says God took, God took Ezekiel to this, this valley of dry bones, and he basically says, look at this valley of dry bones. What do you see? He's like, there's this, all these dry, dead bones, right? There's lifelessness in this valley, this, this place where there's no life. And, and then God tells Ezekiel to prophesy over these bones. And, and eventually these bones begin to connect and the sinews and flesh grow over these bones. And he says, breathe into them. So prophesy life and breath into these and let them live again. And they became an army. And what I'm, I've been praying for is ultimately that God would, would meet us in our places of, of dryness, uh, where we've felt let down, where we felt disappointed, where we felt unheard by God. And I believe that God wants to resurrect things. And in particular, he wants to resurrect this aspect of asking from him in prayer. Uh, even today, as we prayed again, I had this picture of God, like this master, this conductor, where he's raising these bones to life. And I'm praying that God would do that in me today, that God would do that in you. So if you're a part of your story, is that God hasn't heard you and you've been hurt by that and, want to, and you want to keep yourself from that place, maybe God wants to do a work in your heart. I know it's a difficult, complex issue, but let's pray together. A God who speaks life, and breathes life into dry bones, would you do that right now? Uh, you know each and every story of every unanswered prayer, of every tear you've collect, collected in a bottle. You know those prayers in this room that have not been answered or have yet to be answered. And you know how much pain is, is surrounding this issue, how much confusion is surrounding this issue. And so Holy Spirit, I ask you for grace right now to do what only you can do. Would you call out to these bones and say, breathe, have life. Would you awaken in us a lifestyle of asking, of seeking, and of knocking because of who you are? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what is prayer? If a coworker or if a friend of yours asks you, hey, what is prayer? What do you think prayer is? How would you respond? What's an answer to this simple yet complicated question? I think some of us would answer, well, prayer is talking to God, maybe asking things of God. I love how the New City Catechism defines it. Prayer is pouring out 
our hearts to God. It's interesting to note that the very word for prayer in English comes from the Latin precari, which means to ask earnestly, to beg, or to entreat. The Bible itself is shot through with examples of people asking things of God as well as exhortations for us to ask things of God. We see these exhortations coming from the lips of Jesus, from James, from John, from Paul. And whether or not we do this in our own lives, this little letter, this A letter, asking is at the heart of biblical prayer. It's not a supplemental topic, but it's a core part, or it's meant to be a core part of our prayer diet as Christians. And so today we're exploring what does it mean to come to God and petition Him for things for ourselves and for others. I love uh, how British preacher Charles Spurgeon says it. He says, whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. And so we're going to look at that more. Asking is the rule of the kingdom. To have an active prayer life is to have an active asking life. To not ask of God is to have an underdeveloped prayer life. It's not a sign of maturity to not ask of God, but rather of immaturity or unhealth. Isn't that interesting, right? When we think of people asking of things of others, we think of somebody just not having it all together. And yet God commands us to ask of him again and again and again. We were made to rely on God and to ask things of our Father in prayer. And so I want to just ask you to picture with me for a moment. You have a child. And but from the moment they were born, there's an interesting aspect about them. They never are going to ask you for anything. They never ask you for anything. What would life with that child be like? Now, some of the parents in the room are like, amazing. That's what it would be like. The child never cries to alert you when they're hungry, when their diaper needs to be changed. They don't tell you when they're hurting and they're asking for help. They never tell you what they want for their birthday, what sports they're interested in. They never tell you anything. And it's interesting to note that it's precisely through a person's asking that you come to know them what they're like. You connect with their heart's desires, what their needs are. And I believe that one of the reasons that God welcomes petitions from us, instead of shunning us or asking us not to ask, is because he loves us. He wants to know what's inside of us. He knows, but he wants to hear those things coming out of our mouths and relying on him. There's a great book on prayer by Richard Foster called Prayer. Um, And he says this, do you know why the mighty God of the universe chooses to answer prayer? It is because his children ask God delights in our asking. He is pleased at our asking. His heart is warmed by our asking. When our asking is for ourselves, it is called petition. When our asking uh, is on behalf of others, it is called intercession. Listen to this. Asking is at the heart of both experiences, of petition and intercession. So today, as far as like the flow for our time together, uh, we're going to be looking at the passage that was read earlier from Matthew 7, 7 through 11, from the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be exploring what in the world is a healthy prayer life like, particularly when it comes to asking God for things. And so during our time, we're also going to explore the painfulness of unanswered prayer, why in the world those things happen, and that'll be a quick answer, so don't worry, you're going to get an answer and we can move on because it's an easy one. It's not. Um, But really my prayer for our time together is that we would be strengthened in our asking through this time, that we'd hear Jesus himself inviting us into a life of dependence on him with a loving, generous father and recognizing that asking is one of the ways that we can cry out to him and come to know him more. I think I had a faulty understanding of prayer for many years. I, I remember in college, I was, I was leading worship at, for one of the 
ministries on, on campus, and I was talking about the different ministries. And so we have the worship ministry and the hospitality team, and then we have the prayer team. I was like, you know what, guys? I'm on the worship team. Like, prayer isn't my thing, right? It's for those people. Prayer was for, like, the intercessors. Prayer was for the, the prayer warriors. The prayer was for the people that seem to like prayer. And it was a deep misunderstanding of what prayer actually is. I want to say this to all of us as clearly as possible. Prayer is one of the greatest gifts that Jesus died in order to give us and that he wants us to enjoy in our lives. We say that we're a gospel-centered church, and prayer is one of these gospel-centered gifts that derives from the gospel. We get communion with God precisely because of the gospel, and through the gospel, we cry out to God. We say every Sunday, let us go to the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. That's a microcosm of what prayer is. We go to the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. The Spirit. And so prayer is essentially a birthright for the children of God. And sadly, we leave it like, an, like a wrapped gift, untouched in the corner of the room when we don't ask things of our Father. And I believe that Jesus is inviting us to pick up that gift and to unwrap it and to begin to use it in our lives, to bring us into communion with God. So I want to look at Matthew 7 again. If you close your Bible, let's look back at it. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. And I think the first reason that fuels the life of asking God in prayer. I'm going to have three. I'm going to give three of these. But the first one, we ask why? Because of a command. We ask of God because we're commanded to. Verse 7 says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. It's very simple, right? Ask, seek, knock. I want to say this to all of you. We want to be a church that obeys everything that Jesus commands us to do. We think that the best life for each of us is the life that Jesus invites us into. And in this case, it's a life of asking, seeking, and knocking. Jesus instructs us with three different verbs, to ask, to seek, to knock. And he's ultimately, all of these are trying to get around the same idea, to come to our Father. The word for ask in Greek means to ask, to beg, to call for, to crave, to desire, or even to require. The word for seeking Greek, to be or go about, to desire, to endeavor, to inquire for. The word for knock in Greek means what you'd imagine it does, to rap or to knock at a door. I think some have pointed out that while all three of these get around the same general idea, there also seems to be an increased intensity to each of the verbs, to ask and then to seek and then to knock. Picture these like ascending steps in a stairwell. If you need a real-life example, picture a child who has a need, and what do they do if they have a need and they're alone in a room? What do they do? They yell out. They say, hey, mom, dad, right? So that's the first thing they do. They ask. If the parent doesn't respond, what's the next thing that happens? Oh, they seek, right? They're like, mom, dad, they're on, they're on a journey, right? They're looking throughout the whole house. Now, Let's say for whatever reason, there happens to be a parent behind a closed door, maybe in a bathroom, let's say. What will that child do? They will wait until the parent comes out of the bathroom and not say a word. No, they don't. They will knock, and they will knock, and they will yell, and they will ask. Pretty soon, you'll see like little finger, like fingertips underneath the door, right? <laughs> Notes being slid under the door. This child has asked, this child has sought out, and this child is knocking, trying to get their parents' attention. I think this is ultimately an illustration for what Jesus has invited us into, to ask, to seek, to knock, to come after our Father. 
This is what prayer is like. It's interesting to note that Jesus uses a verb tense that's called the present imperative, which means this, that each of these verbs is is implied like a continuous action behind it. So we could actually translate verse 7 this way. Keep on asking and you will receive. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. There's a persistence, there's a tenacity, there's a determination that Jesus is calling us into here. Question, why would Jesus need to even command us to do such a thing? I've never had to teach my kids to ask me or keep on asking. It's very intrinsic to their nature. We came out of the womb asking and crying out. Dad, can we have this? Dad, have you thought about this? You haven't thought about it? Why not? We all have unique personalities, and I've tried to brainstorm a few of the reasons why we don't ask anymore. And I'm sure you guys could all come up with a list as well. Here's some of the ones that I came up with. One is I think we're just impatient. We don't like asking and then waiting. We want to ask God one time and then have him respond immediately on our own timetable. And I think Jesus, in commanding us to ask continuously, he invites us to a longer and more patient and more relational road. Another reason why we don't ask is I think we're self-sufficient. To ask implies you have a need. In our minds, God is out of the equation, so we claim to believe in God. But when it comes to our prayer lives, we're actually more like functional atheists. Asking God persistently is actually an antidote to our independent ways. I think for many of us, we've grown cynical and, in my case, probably scared of being let down again. You ask me to ask again when I've been let down or all I've heard is crickets from God, I'm saying, I don't want to open myself to that pain again. I don't want to do it. Many of us have felt this. Uh, Feeling ghosted by friends is one thing, but feeling ghosted by God is a whole different thing, right? Jesus' command is given to the cynical and the let down ones. Another reason why I think we don't like to ask is we're hesitant. There are so many other things that seem bigger than our little needs before God. We don't want to interfere with what God, God must be busy, right? He's got a whole world to take care of. And yet Jesus' command cuts through all of this. He says, your prayer life, your desires, your requests matter to the one who made you. Come to him and ask, seek, and knock. And so no matter which category you fit into or another category, this command and invitation of Jesus is given to all of us today, to the impatient ones, to the self-sufficient ones, to the cynical ones, to the scared ones, to the hesitant ones. All of us need to hear Jesus today saying, ask, seek, knock. This command is for us. So first reason we ask because of a command. Second reason, we ask because of a promise. We ask because of a promise. Verse 8 is nearly a repetition of verse 7. It says this, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be open. So in addition to a command in verse 7, we're given a promise in verse 8. Jesus is grounding his command in a promise. It's stated very similarly to verse 7 but it's broadening the scope or at least clarifying it. If you heard verse 7 and thought, man, that seems too simple, too good to be true. Jesus must have meant something else. Verse 8 comes along and smacks us in the face. Jesus wants us to be crystal clear. Look at the verbiage. For everyone who asks. For everyone. It's a universal promise that Jesus gives it. Who's it for? For everyone. We're not just given, we're not given a time frame of when that promise will take shape, but it's given nonetheless. This promise isn't just for the faithful ones, the ones who've scored an inside kind of ear with God because of their good behavior. 
It's not for the prayer warrior. It's not for the Christian who's decked out in medals. It's for the one who's failed for the millionth time. It's for the blood-stained one. It's for the one who's largely given up and feeling like a spiritual zero. Those who ask and seek and knock are promised that they will receive, that they'll find, that closed doors will be opened. So we have a command and a promise. And uh, as a pastor here at Park Church, um, this is where we kind of wade into some complex waters, as I mentioned earlier. And I'm going to invite you to hold on to a tension in this. And we see two tensions that I want to encourage you to hold on to. And this is the first tension. There's a prerequisite to ask. There's a prerequisite to ask. God wants us to hear us voice our desires. James 4.2 literally says, you do not have because you do not what? Ask. You don't have because you don't ask. God is saying, ask. You don't have. Why? Because you haven't asked. It seems very simple, right? Sam Storms, my uh, boss at my last church in Oklahoma City, stated it this way. We must never presume that God will grant us, apart from prayer, what he has ordained to grant us only by means of prayer. We may not have the theological wisdom to fully decipher how prayer functions in relation to God's will, but we must never cast it aside on the arrogant and unbiblical assumption that it is ultimately irrelevant to God's purpose for us and others. I want to read that first sentence again. We must never presume that God will grant us apart from prayer what he has ordained to grant us only by means of prayer. Isn't that interesting? There's a prerequisite of asking. So I'm asking you to hold on to that tension. I think this is why we're commanded in the verse prior as well. It's backed by a promise. God wants to be in relationship with us. And part of that involves asking. So that's one tension. We must ask. And as we ask God for specific things that are in line with his character and his kingdom, we begin to see answers. God's saying, hello, ask of me, seek me, knock on my door. This is the way I've designed it all to work. William Temple has a great quote. He says this, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I stop praying, the coincidences stop happening. When I pray, coincidences happen. When I stop praying, the coincidences stop happening. Right? God is inviting us to ask. So that's one tension. I'm saying, as a pastor here at Park, ask. This is God's ordained means of bringing these things about, which is fascinating. But this leads us to a second tension that I'm asking us to hold on to as well, which is the reality that many of us have asked but haven't received. We all raised our hands for the most part earlier. The empirical evidence begs to differ. How many of you have had prayers that God didn't answer? So many of us. There have been times in my life where I've asked God and not received. I, I remember walking through a really hard time with a close friend of mine. And he was, going, he was walking through a divorce. And I said, There's, there could be nothing more that God would want to answer more than, a, than the healing of a marriage. Is it not? And so I was fasting. I was praying. I was doing prayer retreats. And I was like, let's go, God. You are going to do this. This is going to be a testimony to you and to your glory. And what happened? They walked through the divorce, and it happened. And I said, God, like, why wouldn't you answer that prayer? I asked you, and I didn't receive. What happened there? A few months later, another one of my friends called me and said, hey, I found out that my wife's been cheating on me. My first gut response was to say, I'm going to fast and pray, and immediately this line came into my head, it doesn't matter what you do. When you ask, you don't receive. So what do we do with this? What do we do with unanswered prayers? That friend went to go through and 
ended up getting a divorce years later. How do we, how do we process these things? How do we hold this promise and this command that Jesus gives us with some of these harsh realities, and yet that's the live, the world that we live in? I think I need to point out in this passage that this promise that Jesus gives isn't some unconditional promise. There are other factors at play here. We can't act like nothing else was said on the topic of prayer. Jesus himself said a lot of things prior to this in the Sermon on the Mount on prayer and elsewhere in John 15, 7. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So interestingly, Jesus puts a condition on this. He says, if, if. He's making qualifications on the promise, right? John 14, 14. If you ask anything, but then he says, in my name, I will do it. So things get a little bit more complicated. There's a couple aspects of looking at things. What does it mean to ask in his name? Well, we ask for things that are in line with his character, things that he and his kingdom are all about. But the fact of the matter is is this, that God isn't a genie in a bottle. He's not some vending machine that we put in a prayer and then we get the answer right away. God is not Amazon Prime with same-day delivery. It's fascinating to think even about Jesus himself who gave this promise to us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, take this cup away from me. He's asking God to let him out. Give me an out, God. Well, Jesus also said, asking you will receive. What was the answer that Jesus ultimately got. That cup wasn't taken away from Jesus in that garden. That's what we're going to be looking at next week. Interestingly, we read earlier from James 4.2. James 4.3 says this, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your passions. So our asking itself is all mixed and messed up with different conflicting passions, desires, and emotions. And God knows all of these things. There's so many factors going on in our prayer lives. John Stott in his book, Christian Counterculture, said it this way. It is absurd to suppose that the promise, ask and it shall be given to you, is an absolute pledge with no strings attached. That knock and it will be opened to you is an open sesame to every closed door without exception. And that by the waving of a prayer wand, any wish will be granted and every dream will come true. The idea is ridiculous. It would turn prayer into magic, the person who prays into a magician like Aladdin, and God into our servant who appears instantly to do our bidding like Aladdin's genie every time we rub our little prayer line. And that's not what prayer is. And so I'm trying, as a pastor here at Park Church, I want to pump up um, this aspect of asking God, please, would you ask God, would you cry out to him? And I want to stir your faith for these things. I want to say this, even before last service, I was like, uh, during our prayer time before the service, I was surrounded by people that had seen unanswered prayers, where God hadn't answered prayers. And so I'm like crying before the service. And then all of a sudden, I went to go walk over to, um, by the coffee station over there, and I see uh, Jesse Zeller over there, who we saw God answer our prayers. And so we're sitting in a room where we've seen God answer these things, and I want to say, keep asking of God. Keep asking of God. And I'm also wanting to hold to this tension that prayer is not a simple and linear road, that God is the way maker. He's the, he's the miracle worker. He's the promise keeper. He's the light in the darkness. And prayer involves trust and persistence, and surrender, and that not everything goes exactly the way we imagine it to go. Yes, God delights in answering us, but he's not constricted by time. He's also far wiser than us. He knows what's truly good for us. Some of the prayers I've prayed in the past, thank God he didn't answer and give me what I asked him for. 
Thank God he didn't give me those things. Mysteriously, God, unanswered prayers can be some of God's greatest acts of kindness toward us, even when we don't realize it. It's complicated. Sometimes we think we're asking God for bread when God knows that that request is this huge stone. Other times we think we're asking God for fish and God knows that that thing is a rattlesnake that will kill us if he were to give it to us. God knows better than we do, and yet we ask faithfully and also trust and yield to him. Third and final point. We ask because of the person behind the promise. Verses 9 through 11, let's read these together. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus paints this everyday picture for us in this illustration. Imagine yourself as a, as a child at, at the table for dinner time. Uh, you ask one of your parents to, to pass the bread to you. So you get the bread basket and you open it up. And all of a sudden you go to grab a roll and there's like this stone in there, right? You're like, okay, very funny. Try to grab another one. It's full of stones. You're like, very funny. You ask them to pass the, the fish, right? And there's like a live serpent on it. Like that wouldn't be super cool. Is, is, is God this like practical joker? What is God like? But I want to say this. Jesus is trying to make this point. God isn't in the business of trickery. He's not cruel. He's not sadistic. Jesus is trying to get our imagination about what God is like, and he's trying to convince us that God has our best in mind. Do you believe that? When things go the way we want them to, when things don't go the way they want them them to, do we still believe and trust that God is as good as he says he is? In studying these five verses, I'm convinced that these last three verses are the foundation of everything we're talking about today. The command of verse 7 and the promise of verse 8 rise or fall on verses 9 through 11 being true. The reality is promises are given by particular people, and the question is, is is the one that's giving the promise trustworthy or not? So if I called out to a random person here in this audience and I said, hey, uh, if you give me 10 push-ups, I will uh, give you $10 million. Like, would you believe me? What questions might you ask? Like, do you have $10 million? To which I would say, no. So you probably wouldn't trust me in those things. Another question would be, why? Well, let's say Elon Musk walks by and he says, hey, if you do 10 push-ups, I'm doing like this, you know, this campaign, trying to raise awareness of Twitter, now X. And, uh, you know, if you give me 10 push-ups, I will give you $10 million and we're like live streaming it right now. I'd be like, great, let's go. One, two, because I have trust... Now, I don't know, maybe Elon Musk isn't trustworthy. Maybe that's a bad example. Some of you guys are like, no. Like, is it, I don't know, is it Bill Gates? Is it Jeff Bezos? I don't know. Somebody else, right? Just not Elon Musk, right? I don't know. Whatever it is, the person's character that's making the promise matters so much. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to get at. We need to ask these questions. How do we actually see God? Do we see him as trustworthy or not? Do I see God, my Father, as good and generous and as wise as Jesus says he is, or do I see him as someone who is distant and cold and may not want to engage me, who maybe is even just plain evil and thinks it's humorous to give scorpions to those asking for fish? 
And I think this is precisely the conscious or unconscious thoughts that all of us carry with us when we go into our prayer times, whether we're aware of it or not. When you pray, you bring up a mental image of what you imagine God to be like. And Jesus knows this. He's getting at our narratives, at our imaginations. Behind every prayer life is an active narrative about God and how he interacts with us. Behind every conversation with God is an assumption about what God is like. This is a hard truth. If we don't get who God is right, we're not going to get prayer right. I'm going to repeat that. If we don't get who God is right, we won't get prayer right. Quoting Sam Storms again, he says this, every problem in prayer is traceable to a misconception about God. When you understand the depths of God's goodness, listen to this, prayer becomes easy and exciting. Prayer becomes easy and exciting. Is that how you view prayer? Often I don't. I wouldn't call it easy or exciting, but there's something about seeing God for who he is that should transform our understanding of prayer. Pastor J.R. Vassar says it this way, but in a slightly different way. We don't need to make bigger commitments towards prayer. We need to believe truer thoughts about God, thoughts that are shaped by the gospel. This will stir our hearts and move us to pray. So Jesus knows that all of us have these built-up false images about who God is, and he's trying to tear these down by providing some daily examples of provision, verses 9 and 10, of bread and of fish. The point stands, God is after our good. He's not out to deceive us. He's not out to just stay silent. Our Father actually loves to give us bread. He delights in giving us fish. He's not done. Verse 11 says this, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It's interesting. In this verse, he uses an argument method uh, called a fortiori, which is arguing something from the lesser to the greater, from the lesser to the greater. You're trying to convince someone to conclude something that's even more obvious because of the lesser thing that you said. So if I said this about my kids, I don't trust my child with my bike, and therefore I won't trust them with my car, right? From the lesser to the greater. Jesus is highlighting the fact that even though we all know how sinful and broken parents are, this is also true of parents, that they image God and that they love to shower their kids with good gifts as they're able. They love to. If this is true, which is generally a true statement, then how much more, so from the lesser to the greater, how much more does our Father who is in heaven, who's perfect and wise and kind and generous and sings over us and showers with us with new mercies every day, how much more does he desire to give us the very best thing as we come and ask of him? What is God's posture like when you come to him in prayer? And this is what Jesus is trying to get at. The posture of God the Father is always inclined to be generous toward you, to bless you. Now that blessing might not look exactly like you think it should play out, but God's posture is always to bless. I love this quote from Tim Keller. He says it this way. If earthly fathers who are sinful ordinarily want to make their children happy, I do, how much more committed is our Heavenly Father to our well-being and happiness? That means there has never been a parent on earth who wants joy for his or her children as much as your father in heaven wants joy for you, his child. Listen to this. There has never been a human father who wanted to answer his child's petitions as much as God wants to answer yours. Let me repeat that last phrase. There has never been a human father who wanted to answer his child's petitions as much as God wants to answer yours. Full pause right there. Do you believe that? Do I believe 
that. And I think this is probably the most important thing that we could take from this whole sermon. Miss this, miss the whole thing. The command of verse 7, the promise of verse 8. Make no sense without the loving God of verses 9 through 11. If we believe what we just read, that God is that good, then we'll begin to believe the promise of verse 8 because that's the kind of God he is. And ultimately, the command of verse 7 won't feel like a chore. It won't feel like drudgery. It'll actually feel easy and exciting because we're co-laboring with our Heavenly Father. He can give us more than we ask or imagine. This is the God that we serve. He delights to answer his his children. He's trustworthy. He's dependable. He's perfect. We can come and ask him whatever's on our hearts, knowing he can discern these things. We can seek him out knowing we'll find him. We can knock knowing that through Jesus, the door has been opened to the Father and forever will be to us because he's made us and called us children of God. Let's pray. Father, uh, if I'm honest, it's hard to hear this command, um, and I want to believe this promise, and I want to believe you're this good. And so uh, for those of us in here right now that are struggling to believe this and to receive this, um, we ask you for help. Uh, Would you help us see you for who you really are, that you're good and generous and wise? Uh, Jesus, we thank you for laying down your life for us. Thank you that you call us into this life of prayer and we want to follow you into it. So I pray for just this, this life of prayer that would, would give us a deep sense of abiding in you, that we want to be a people who abide in you, who, who pray and ask in your name. We want to be that kind of people. Spirit, would you uh, stir us up where we've lost faith? that you actually hear and respond to our cries. Uh, And we ask that we would help us to pray and step with you. We want to walk and step with you. We want to pray and step with you, all that you're doing. Would you increase our imagination for what actually is possible as we ask and help us trust you when we don't see these things. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Just before uh, we take time to uh, respond to God through communion, I just want to share three very quick exhortations as we leave here. Maybe things you may can challenge yourself this next week or two of simple ways of asking God for things in prayer. And we're going to have them up on the screen. Uh, number one is ask persistently. Two, ask concentrically. And then three, ask scripturally. And uh, I'm going to mention the, the couple uh, two first. Um, asking persistently, that's at the heart of Jesus' message. Uh, Jesus' exhortation. Big or small, early or late in the day, Jesus' invitation to us today is that we would keep on asking, that we keep on seeking, that we keep on knocking. Uh, These stand as a reminder that not that God is senile, but rather that we are just meant to come to him in dependent relationship on him. There's a place for you, so make this a part of your daily rhythms. I want to encourage you, maybe where you've lost that persistence, to begin again to begin again. Second thing, ask concentrically. And we handed out a booklet uh, on, these, on these four letters, uh, and there's more over there on the info table on your way out. You can grab one. Uh, but one of the things that we mentioned is a, these three concentric circles, like praying for yourself and saying, what do I need? Two, praying for others. What do others need around me? And then three, what are the needs of the world that are immediately obvious to me right now? How can I pray for those things? Those things might be happen on one day, or you might say, man, on Monday, I'm going to pray for myself. Tuesday, 
for others. And then, and then on Wednesdays, I'm going to pray for the world. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you to pray concentrically. That's just a simple template to help you engage in this, to, to learn to ask and train yourself to ask again if, you've, if you kind of shut that down for a season. Um, and then the last thing is I want to encourage you to ask scripturally. Uh, if we're to ask in line with God's will and God's word, what could be better than to use the Bible as a springboard and a model for our prayers? Um, I'm inviting Rebecca Olson up. Uh, she's a part of our storytelling team. I sh- they've worked on a resource to help us engage in asking from God. And so I want to share her to share personally how she's incorporated scripture into her own asking life before God, and then also just some ways that she's inviting us to engage with the resource they've created for us. Can we welcome Rebecca? Good morning. I wanted to share quickly about using scripture to frame our prayers. Please don't think that because I'm up here, I've reached any pinnacle in my prayer life. I don't have calluses on my knees. My kids often interrupt me while I'm praying, and I don't have a prayer closet. Um, But it has been such a joy for me to see how using scripture in prayer gives meaning and depth to talking with God. My prayers often sounded like broken records of, please make that better, and please fix that, and please make that better. Um, And then I was tempted when I noticed that was all my prayer life, just to say, God, make the whole world better. Amen. And then, you know, like, was that enough time praying kind of a thing? Um, But God desires to talk with him and has provided us with a perfect tool to allow us the ability to pray according to his will through scripture. This can take a couple of different forms. So, for instance, this morning in my Bible reading, I was reading Psalm 139. And as you can imagine, I was thinking a little bit about this morning um, and what I was going to say. And reading Psalm 139, you kind of have to pray it. So, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. And you can be certain that the idea of coming up your way out of my comfort zone with God before me and behind me and placing his hand of blessing on my head changes everything. Um, Romans 8.28 tells us that the Spirit helps us know what to pray, especially when we don't know what God wants us to pray for. And have you ever been in a conversation where you're trying to think of the right word and you can't think of it and your person you're talking with tells you and it's like, oh, yes, such a relief. And that's kind of what it is to pray scripture. It's the Spirit allowing, bringing to mind um, the right word just at the right time. Um, so there's a lot of excellent books about learning to read or learning to pray using scripture. Um, and then there's also the resource that we put together that, that's in the back or also on our website. Um, and if you would allow me, I would like to pray for us. Some of the verses that I reference will be on the screen. Our Father in heaven, we praise your holy name. You, in your kindness and goodness, have taught us to pray in this way. And so today, we ask that your kingdom come and your will be done amongst Park Church as it is in heaven. Lord, just as Jesus prayed for us, we pray that we would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent, that by knowing this, we would glorify you for all eternity. O Father, but yet for a little while, we are still in this world, and we ask for your protection. Protect us by the power of your name, so that we might be one. The evil one comes to steal and kill and destroy, and we need your protection. Save us from lies that steal our joy, kill our hope, and destroy our love for one another. Teach us more of your word, which is truth, and make us holy, set apart for you through that truth. Lord, we are so distracted by many things and so often don't know how to choose the better thing of sitting at your feet. 
Father, give us our daily bread. We have nowhere else to go for our daily bread, for you are our bread of life. Give us everything we need for today, patience in traffic, gentleness with our loved ones, peace about the week to come, and self-control tonight when we've allowed our exhaustion to weaken our reserve to get to bed on time. Lord, we are weary and heavy laden, but you say you give strength to the weary, so we come asking for rest. Refresh us, Lord, like streams in the desert. Let us not grow weary of doing good, especially to others of us in the body of Christ, because we want to reap a harvest at the proper time. Forgive us our debts, the things we have done and the things we have left undone. As we remember the grace we have received from you, remind us to give grace generously to those around us, even to those who have sinned against us. Father, we are but little children, so please deliver us from temptations and crippling doubt. We want to be known in our homes, our church, and our community for our love that comes straight from you. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. More information and more resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Take care.